we're no different. And so, I mean, we could have used several exploits throughout our last two years, but we're fairly stable now, so it's just kind of an ebb and flow, you know. I remember days when there were people waiting in line for jobs, and now there are people trying to decide if they want to have a job. <laughs> we won't we won't go down that path of why we think that's the case. I don't know where our lady was. I'm assuming Fred will kick us off, right? I have no idea. You've been live for the last 45 seconds. No, folks, that's not a problem. That's not your silence. It's just our hosts, our hosts and guests are being quiet. So don't adjust your volume. We are live. Hopefully, somebody will start so talking soon. Maybe we just get started. But we need our music. I was going to say, we don't have the lead. We've been live for about two minutes now, folks, so please talk. Okay, well, welcome to another episode of Killers of Franchising. We'd like to welcome our special guest co-host. Ms. Sarah Sang from Molly Maid of Aurora. Good afternoon, Sarah. Happy Friday Eve. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's get started with our word on the street. I understand you've got some burning questions, Sarah. Sure. So I'm a mom and I have little kids. You have older kids. So tell me about working, like owning a franchise as a mom and why it's to me, when I'm reading about it, it seems awesome. Like, I have some ideas, but what do you think, like, you know, getting into that opposed to working for, like, a big company or owning, like, a small, like, individual store, which sounds terrifying. Like, why a franchise is so <laughs> good compared to that? Yeah. So, I'll tell you, I had what was really kind of considered a great situation with a corporate job Monday through Friday you know, kind of normal hours, easy to and flexible enough to pick up and drop the kids off from daycare. But I'll tell you what really became a problem were sick days and room parties and all these other things that come up, right? And so doctor's appointments. And so the great thing about owning a franchise, and it really depends, again, this is where it becomes really important that you identify what it is that you're looking for out of a franchise. Because maybe you're somebody who says, I want to stay home all day while my husband works, and then I want to work evenings so that he can watch the kids while I go do my thing, right? That's a different kind of franchise that you're looking for. But in general, the great thing about franchising for moms, working moms in particular, is that you have a lot of flexibility, right? So you're not necessarily numbered on the number of sick days you have. You don't necessarily have to ask your boss if you need to run to a room party that lasts for 45 minutes in the middle of the day. You have ultimate control over your schedule. So that's one of the things that I found to be super helpful with three kids. And when we started, um, you know, my youngest actually was born um, about nine months into opening the business. Oh, so, wow. um, Yeah. So I've been through where you're at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now he's a freshman in high school. So. What other questions do you have? I don't even think I had a brain nine months postpartum. (laughs) Well, mine could have been questioned, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, just being here right now, I can hear like my kids saying, mom, mom, where are you? I'm like, no, it's busy. Right. Yeah. Definitely. I worked at a job beforehand with kids and it was a small company, small business. So Mm -hmm. when I left for maternity leave, they were just on their own. There was nobody else. So they were like, what's going on? What's happening? When are you coming back? When are you coming back? Yeah. So, well, you know, and working for one is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, and that, the thing is, too, I mean, so when I put my kids into daycare, even though I owned my own business, right, you still have to be able to come to work and somebody has to take care of them. 
So we had um, an au pair, we had babysitters, we put them in daycare. And the coolest thing that I met was a family whose kids were the same age as mine and they owned a Goddard school franchise. So their kids were there at school at work with her as she ran the daycare. And she knows the teachers, obviously she hires them, right? And so that worked out really, really well for her. Um, and there's a lot of models that allow you to have semi-absentee ownership and or situations in which you can bring your kids. There's a lot of work from home scenarios that aren't really bad franchises to look into if you wanna go that route. Um, I can tell you it tends to save a lot of money if you can find a situation where you have that flexibility. But again, it's all about talking to a broker about what is the right model for the lifestyle that you want and the way that you wanna raise your kids. Right. So you don't need to be completely, hand you can delegate things. Sure. Out, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. so good. I hope we answered all of your questions. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. So moms out there, as we approach Mother's Day, let's not forget that franchising is a great option as you transition out of the corporate world, as you look for more freedom, as you struggle with, you know, just the few days off that you have, the flexibility of going to um, Halloween parties and spring fling parties and all those other things, um, take a look and consider maybe put on your Mother's Day wish list a franchise. Why not? And we got a great show. We got a great show for you all coming up today. We're going to talk to our panel of pros and talk about some other franchising things. We'll be back right after this. That was a quick transition. <laughs> it was. It was great. Hey, we are on the ball today. No time to mess around. That's right. So let's get started. We want to talk today about why franchising, why everybody here, you know, we all came from a different background, every single one of us. And I want to understand what drew each one of you into the franchising fear, so to speak. Karen, let's start with you. What's well, interesting, because my journey consisted of, in my, in my 30s, in my early 30s, where I did a startup. I actually had a startup that was not a franchise, and it was a professional services company, and was part of the startup, um, spent like 10 years growing it, and I was like, oh, who needs franchises? You know, we did this, and we've got, mm -hmm. got, the, we've got the scars to show it, and we had that growth. Well, then fast forward, I'm now part of, I was on the franchising side with the franchisor side, and then now part on the franchisee side, I'm like, oh my gosh, who wouldn't want to have franchising or be a franchise? Because it, the differences are you, with the franchising, you almost don't have to learn your own mistakes many times. People before you have learned those mistakes. There right. are systems in place. You know, there's marketing in place. So I really totally switched from, why do I need this? And having, again, the, the, the scars to prove it to, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I didn't do franchising at the beginning. Right. Well, that's a really good point because I'm working with a candidate right now who said, you know, listen, I own my own business before. I wound up going back into the corporate world as an executive. But I don't want to go down that path again. I don't want to I don't want to have to deal with all of those unknowns again. I want to start with a little bit of information and foundation behind me. So I think that's really a good point that you make. Jerry, how about you? What about me, Kristen? Everybody wants to know about me. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, corporate America, all of us kind of have a little bit of that background. I spent 25 years there developing companies for other people, uh, moving around the country and so on. And then uh, spent about 10 of my last, of, of 10, the last 10 years of my 25 in corporate also doing consulting in that same category across the United States and Canada. And then, uh, you know, went into consulting full time and discovered franchising while I was doing business consulting. Um, bought my first one almost on a whim. I like, you know, well, let's try this. I don't know a lot about it, but let's see how it works. And mm -hmm. found out I absolutely loved it. It was, frankly, so much easier than, as Karen talked about, building it from the ground up and having all the scars to show for it. Um, so then uh, the scalability part of it came into play. And I decided that, uh, you know, with a franchise, you could scale it 
you know, way faster than you could ever think about doing your own bricks and mortar type thing. So I was sold, I was in, and when I go into something, it's a hundred percent. So, you know, we went from zero to a hundred really quick. And now we've got, uh, as you know, 34 great clips and five, the joint chiropractics. I'm a regional developer and, you know, franchising is my life now. So, um, I recommend it to everyone. So Jerry, how many did you start with? Did you start with a single unit? Yes. We started with one and we bought it. Uh, it was an existing one, acquired it. Um, and it was just because uh, it was available. It wasn't that we were looking for an existing one. It was available. And, uh, you know, we looked, we, we did a pro forma, the, the numbers looked good. We, it was in hair. And I literally remember saying, I will never be in hair. When I was, <laughs> when I was offered the opportunity, I said, not a chance, no way. And then we did um, validation calls with franchisees. Uh, we actually went to corporate and did a discovery day and spent time with some of the corporate people. And my wife, who is the skeptic in the family, we're driving back from Minneapolis from corporate. And she looked at me and she said, it sounds crazy, but I think it's the right thing to do. And frankly, we never looked back. We bought that one, uh, turned it around in less than a year, almost doubled revenues in the first year, and then uh, set out on a path to buy out others uh, and eventually bought the entire market and have added on since then. Excellent. And so tell me, Sharon, what about you? How did, did you start with one? I mean, I know your situation is a little bit different. It is. It's just, it's one, you know, we're, you know, right now with, you know, we're the Chicago land area. So it's a, it's one of the largest single unit franchises in, uh, in the, in the U S. Uh-huh. So, um, yes, it just started with one. And the same thing when I had my own company, we just had one, it was just a single unit, but we service, we service the world. And I'll tell you, it's a lot easier <laughs> working just here in the Chicagoland area than it is, you know, working, you know, with uh, with companies throughout, over, you know, throughout the world. I mean, it's just a, it's sure. just a different focus. But yeah. same, same thing. Go ahead, Jerry. Well, I was going to say, Karen, you bring up a great point that we need to make here for people that are thinking about franchising or whatever. Um, there are franchise systems where you're better off with only one or two units because, uh, you need to be more engage, engaged. Maybe it's more of a professional thing that you yourself are the, the representative for it. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of variables. So some franchise systems are made for scalability. Some are a little more leaning towards having one or two or a small group. In fact, if you look at a few of the really successful ones out there, you know, Chick-fil-A comes to mind. They want you to have one, maybe two if you're lucky. Right. Uh, Crumble Cookie is very similar in that model although I think they're evolving a little bit into more yeah. capability, but still yeah. there's some out there and sure. I, and, and that's not a bad thing because sometimes you can take a franchise like that and make it huge, right. which is what you're doing, Karen. And so I don't want anybody out there to get the misperception that you've got to have 30 or 50 or something like that. Cause you can do exceptionally well with one of most franchises. Absolutely. 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 That's on, like, a very good point. Size of your market as, right. as well. Right. Yep. Laura, we, uh, I mean, I know a bit of your background, but tell us how you, and as a, as a legal person, a lawyer in franchising, how did you stumble into franchising when people, you know, go to school for personal injury and corporate law? And yeah, those are great points. Um, so I knew, you know, a little bit about business transactions, you know, and, and being that kind of attorney, frankly, because my father is also this kind of attorney. Um, but, you know, I never really knew when I went to law school that I was going to do the exact same thing, right? Um, right. And, you know, in some sense, um, you know, it's kind of a joke, but it's like, you know, we are our own little franchise, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you have parent-child, right? And if you do the same thing, you know, you, you just kind of pass it along. So, you know, we, there's no good real answer. I mean, I, I ended up doing it uh, originally out in Denver because I went to law school at the University of Denver. Um, and, you know, really enjoyed it out there, uh, you know, as you may know, right, it, you know, Colorado and Denver in particular is an extremely booming market for development. Um, Colorado Springs in particular is usually one of the most popular test markets in mm -hmm. because there are people all across the country who, who come there because of the military presence um, that's there. And so there's really a lot of franchise growth uh, in the state uh, and just general entrepreneurial growth in the state. 
And so, you know, it was a really fun industry to work in when I was out there. And then about uh, four and a half years ago, I moved back to Chicago to kind of, you know, work together with my father. Um, but, you know, it is probably 70 or 80% of what we do every day is, is something franchise related, um, whether it's writing a franchise disclosure document, reviewing it for a candidate. You know, I had someone today, you know, upset that, you know, a franchisor is not approving the site that they want to put their business at. So I'm, you know, looking at the agreement to see if they have any leverage, which they really don't. You know, it is, usually franchisors don't like to disapprove um, a site. You know, that's kind yeah. of like, that's the last option. Um, right. So approved it, it's, it's probably there are reasons, but, um, you know, all of those kind of things, right? And so it's a really fun and positive part of law to be in because most franchisees, you know, they're, they're very excited. Um, they're starting yeah, out sure. doing something new or they're in a very, you know, growth mindset. And it's it's a fun energy to be around as an attorney, right? You know, I'm not doing divorces, right? I don't have to worry yeah. about, you know, my voicemail and, you know, so-and-so did such and such with the kids. So we need right. to order, you know, terrible, horrible things. And I'm glad there are attorneys that, that help with those things. Um, sure. But I'm also very glad that I uh, get to hang out with the franchise community because it's much more fun for me. I think that's a really good point. And for those of you out there who are, you know, considering going to law school, I do think it's an underrepresented area of law that not a lot of schools really focus on. We obviously, you know, we work with the Titus Center and um, Young Brands has has a, a, a place down in um, St. Louis, Kentucky, I believe. Jerry, help me out if I'm incorrect. Or wrong. Louisville. Thank you, Louisville. And uh, I know Babson College has something going on. And so there are three or four colleges that have concentrations in franchising. And so um, whether that you're going for a business degree or a law degree, it's very interesting to get into a franchising class as well. So you at least have a little bit of understanding of what exactly that is. Yeah. Let's, talk, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, we had Sarah ask questions about um, moms and things, having franchises. Jerry, how about you? I mean, you're a dad, you're a grandpa, you've got, you know, a great family. How difficult was it for you opening franchises and having a young family at the time? Well, just to clarify, our older daughter was already in college when we really got this going on and she was okay. staying in college. So she came home one day and went, you did what? And, uh, <laughs> What does that mean to my, you know, inheritance and those kinds of things? Uh, our younger daughter was in high school yet, and she actually spent summers doing payroll with my wife. And uh, was it was a great experience. She was going to go to college to be a physician and actually did, now that I'm thinking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, but she discovered two things. She discovered she loved the franchise world. She loved working in the family business and have kind of, she said many times, I have control over my own destiny when I do this, as opposed to having a job. Right. And then she ran into a little issue with uh, pre-med biology in college. So she, she changed her major, and she majored in uh, human resources and accounting and things that were going to be good for our business. So, you know, yeah. but you, the reason you're bringing it up is because of time. And so I owned several other businesses when my kids were young. and. Uh -huh. The beauty of that, whether it's a franchise or another business, is you are your own boss. And many times you can do your job from anywhere with an iPad or your phone or whatever. So a lot, even though I worked like 80 hours a week, it allowed me to work whatever hours, my hours when I wanted to. So if I needed to go to a baseball game, a softball game, a, a play, a musical, well, I'm just going to sign out for that period of time and shut sure. my phone off. And then I might be working at 10 o'clock at night, sending emails or something like that. I don't mind because you have total control. You do it when you, you know, have time and still be able to live your best life. So I honestly think, you know, owning a franchise is phenomenal for family uh, growth. And, you know, you can talk about not only what it does in the time factor, which I just mentioned, mm -hmm. but frankly, you probably will do better financially owning a franchise or two or three franchises than you would in a job, which sure. leads to a different family lifestyle for many people. Mm -hmm. And you also bring into play a second generation thing, which Laura talked about. We're in the midst of. So our kids and perhaps our grandkids someday will be running this business, which 
is our legacy. So I think there's lots of positive things about the family involvement. Yeah. Karen, what about you? Were your, were your kids ever involved in your businesses at all? My kids were not. They, uh, okay. they kind of chose different, different paths. And mm-hmm. I will tell you at the same time, um, right. my, daughter spent, my daughter spent a lot of time, um, you know, in, kind of like in the office with me. Mm-hmm. And um, it was great because it was, it was great for me where I could, I could pick and choose when I wanted to work. The kids were all there with me. It's so funny when my, my daughter got out of college and had her first job, someone actually said to her, you know, you're, you're a little different for your age group. Um, did your mother work? Did your mother, you know, you know did, were you involved in that? Because she saw it. I mean, she saw it on a daily basis. And I yeah. think it was just, it just kind of probably just eked into her, uh, <laughs> kind of her existence. And it sure. really helped her prepare for uh, corporate life. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting. And, and you know, I, I, I think that the one thing people have to really think about when they start their business, you know, mine is one of those right now, too, where I've got one in college and one, you know, soon on his way and the other one with a few years yet to go. But if you ask them, they're like, eh, we're not really interested. Because really, who wants to say, I own a maid service or we clean toilets for a living, right? Like, that's not really their dream job, but when they see the outcome of the hard work and what it affords you once yeah. they mature, you know, I, I'm hoping that they will be like, oh, you know what, that's not really such a bad idea because it's often not about the brand or the service or the thing. It's about what it affords you and you finding your own passion for whatever that business model happens to be. Absolutely. Well, Kristen. Interestingly enough, you, as you all know, uh, my older daughter, Sam, started a second generation group with uh, Great Clips, and yeah. that's taken on a life of its own. And literally, it has these kids, and I say kids, but some of them are in their 40s, you know, <laughs> 45. But to me, that's a kid, I guess. But uh, they literally talk every day. So we've got young people in the same business that we're in. That yeah. in some cases, in many cases, are smarter than their parents were. I know in my case, that's the, that's the deal. And they're talking every day and sharing best practices and discoveries today, real time, yeah. that are changing everybody's businesses around the United States in a positive manner. And so I think that second generation thing is in any business, but certainly in franchising, is is grossly uh, overlooked. And sure. frankly, one of the things that I tell franchisors when I talk to them is you know you start that before uh before you start some other things because that's that's the future so uh for us it has been life-changing and frankly you know i I, and karen brought it up uh not every kid wants to go into their kids their family's business and Kristen, you mentioned it uh sometimes they discover that it's different they go out and get a real job and discover you know mom or dad didn't have to work this way and they got flexibility to go to my ball games how come i don't Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then um, they're starting to think about it. Well, literally, we've got franchisees, franchisees in the system coming to me and saying, I got a kid that needs to be in, but they're not quite sold on it. And I say, listen, just have him or her talk to Sam. Right. Because Sam will answer their questions, deal with their insecurities or any other issues they've got, mm-hmm. uh, be a mentor for them. And it has literally, there are kids in the system right now that would not have been in were it not for the second generation group. So it's actually going to help solidify the franchise, the franchisor long term because of the transition. Instead of selling businesses, there's going to be a transition handing them down to kids. So there's a lot of positive things that comes out of that second generation. That is so phenomenal. And and, and what you're teaching them even early is is to which is which is a great thing about franchising it's building community yeah because the more we have that franchising community amongst each other that's where you get the best practices that's where you're going to have the most growth yep um, the ideas i mean to me that keeps that keeps the brand and franchising alive yeah absolutely and you know it's interesting when i talk to my candidates when they're looking to buy a franchise i just had this conversation um, with someone, and I said, you know, you have two kids. Do you think either one of them, you know, would be interested in doing this? And what, like, you're looking for a brand right now. Is there one that you think would work for you, meet your financial goals, and be something your kids would be interested in helping with? Because then you've got this built-in buy-in, right? 
I think sort of, sort of, some of the issue is we, you know, at what, 17, 18 years old, we send them off to college and say, okay, you have to tell us, what do you want to be when you grow up? Exactly. And they're like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I still right. don't know. And I'm 15, you know. Um, and so I think it's great that franchising allows that opportunity, like Sam did, Jerry. She went away to school and she came back because she decided what she was doing was just not what right. she thought it was going to be, you know. And so, for those of you out there, we certainly are in a time right now where we have people, an inordinate amount of people getting ready to sell and move on and start that second generation. You know, it's, it's a good time for them to really think about what is the exit strategy going to be. So Absolutely. Um, speaking of that, Jerry, we're going to talk in a few minutes about, um, you know, fighting for franchising with the IFA. But some of this, you know, what are your thoughts on helping groom that next generation? Do you have any ideas that, that perhaps is what we need to be looking at as a community? Oh, yeah, I mean, certainly uh, building in them the skill sets to do what it takes, you know. And let's face it, one of the hardest things for any business owner, but certainly a franchisee bringing their child in, is their work ethic may or may not be what yours was. And so yeah. you you may have to help them change that. Or you may just have to become accustomed to them working differently than you work. And so neither one of those is good or bad. That's just something that you should consider as you move through it. So making sure they've got the skill sets or helping them, you know, find the skill sets, whether it's mentoring with you or taking extra classes or whatever the case might be. I highly, highly suggest getting them involved with the corporate side. In other words, working with your franchisor, going to meetings and events almost immediately, even if they're quiet in the background for the first few months, go to them. It's an interesting story about that. That's the way we, we brought our daughters into everything. They met the president, the CEO, the board, with, and we had talked to them like we're talking to everybody here. And uh, I remember uh, Sam was at an event, not to, a corporate event not too long ago with one of the second generation uh, kids. And um, Sam waved at what, like the corporate VP and then got ready to go over and talk to him. And this, this young man that was with her said, wait, stop. What, what are you doing? They're corporate. Why? Well, <laughs> yes, but that's why I'm doing it. They're, they're not only corporate, but they're a friend of mine. And we work better with that kind of a relationship than if yeah. you stand up. So I would suggest parents that are bringing their kids in, uh, let them become acclimated to having a relationship with, having conversations with people at the corporate level. Because yeah. corporate is interested in how you're transitioning your business too. Mm -hmm. And so them becoming more comfortable with the skill sets and, you know, the drives of your children, if that might be the path sure. to follow is important. And interestingly enough, we're going to talk uh, in the next segment about IFA and some battles. And there's a battle that happened in Arkansas last week that was 100% because of arguments between franchisors and franchisees about the kids coming into the business oh, and taking over. So more on that. Oh, can't wait to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Karen, so what do you, there's, there's something that you shared with me today I'd like you to, to talk to the audience about that Dale Carnegie offers right in the same vein of what Jerry's saying and getting teenagers and such ready for the workplace. Can you talk about that just a little bit? I think Absolutely. it's so cool. Absolutely. Yeah, one of the things that we offer is it's called like a, it's like next generation. And it's a kind of a Dale Carnegie course for teenagers and, uh, you know, young adults, especially those that are in high, high school years. Right. And it's really to prepare them for confidence. Um, you know, Jerry, you talked about even speaking to people, you know, when you're talking about speaking to executives, being comfortable with that, being, yeah. you know, having that, um, that, that growth mindset within them, getting outside of themselves, um, relationships, the importance of relationships. So all these things that we're talking about, it really does set the stage for them to become better, if you want to call it better equipped, to sure. your college, the work world. So the more we can do, you know, I think, I believe with these young adults to help them with that, it's going to set them on a, a better path. Yeah. Well, I just thought it was so interesting. Karen, tying what you said together with what I said, uh, one other thing that I, I am very proud of my daughters being looked up to by first-generation franchisees because of the skill sets they've got. They've become experts in certain things in running our business that even people who don't have a second generation 
who are the first generation who started their business are reaching out to our daughters to learn from them about things. And that one step beyond that is being able to get on stage or in front of a class when a convention is going on or something like that and actually facilitate it uh, in front of first and second generation uh, at a young age. You know, that, that builds their confidence. It builds their image and not only their eyes, but also the eyes of their peers and so on. I think it's just phenomenal. So again, parents, when you're thinking about bringing a second generation in and don't stop at just their day-to-day operations, help yeah. them spread their wings a little bit too. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because I remember um, one of the first things that happened when we had our Molly Mae conventions, like so all the executives brought their kids too. And I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Like it, that really drove the family atmosphere. So Meg Roberts, I mean, we had her on a couple weeks ago, the last lounge. She's so dynamic on stage and she had two boys that were right there watching how amazing her mom did handle the crowds, remember names you know, speak in public. And then, you know, there's uh, several families, uh, and I don't want to start naming them and then forgetting the names, but um, one that comes to mind, the Silva Nash family down in um, Arkansas, near you, Jerry. I mean, their son started going to these meetings long ago, and now he's running his own business. Uh, It's still the same franchise, but I mean, he is a force to be reckoned with. And I think that it's great. When these kids came, they were maybe seven, eight years old or younger. And I thought, well, how do you like, what do they do when we're in classes, right? Oh, they're at the pool and so-and-so's kids are watching them. And I'm like, oh, okay. I never did that. And now I kind of feel bad because now that my kids don't want to put their phones down, I'm going to start dragging them. <laughs> See, never, never, never too, never too late. So. Never yeah. too late. Yeah. And I'm betting Laura has dealt with some of these transitions and, and the, the, I call it, ah. the up. it's the first part of it when they're thinking about it and a parent might go to Laura and say, I'm thinking about this. What's your advice? Good yeah. point. We do hear um, a fair number of those. And, you know, even, even folks that, you know, are beginning kind of with the end in mind, right. Where they will buy something like you were suggesting that, you know, they think has a higher likelihood of their child being interested in it. Um, you know, maybe the kid is working in marketing right now, but, you know, they're going to kind of be in the background, they're going to be interested, et cetera, um, if, even if they're not overtly doing it together. But I do think, yeah, like, you know, the sooner you can get them involved and the sooner that the franchisor knows that they exist, all of those are good and important things um, that make it easier to have a transition that, you know, is goes well, one, but also that the franchisor feels comfortable with. Right. You know, it's not a surprise to them. Um, you know, it's, it's not it's not that kind of relationship. The franchisor doesn't <laughs> franchisors don't really like surprises. <laughs> well, you know, that brings a, that, I mean, nobody really does. Right. Um, but I have it's, it's not a great topic. It's a great topic, but nobody really wants to talk about it. What about in the event that the franchise owner passes unexpectedly? No, that's true. The you child know. wants to take over the business. They're of age. How does the franchisor, from a legal perspective in the family, come to some kind of terms with that? So it depends on the franchise concept. Um, you know, I would say most, in most concepts, the family is still, you know, whoever the family member is, is still going to have to qualify as a transferee, right? Um, okay. That they get, you know, a free approval just because they're, you know, son, daughter, nephew, whatever. Um, so it is important, you know, if, if that's something that they think might happen to get them involved from the beginning. Um, okay. You know, one thing that we will try to negotiate if it is a smaller franchise, you know, when they bought in, um, is to get pre-approval in an addendum, right, to say that those transfers among family members, you know, are pre-approved, you know, at least within like one generation, right, you know, maybe yeah. not. We're not transferring to like a seven-year-old or something. Sure, sure, yeah. And also to say that they may not have to pay the transfer fee um, because those can be, you know, anywhere from 50% of an initial fee. I've seen some lately, surprising, but 100% of an initial fee, actually. And, you know, that on top of, um, you know, already losing someone that they care about and suddenly they need to come up with, you know, $20,000, can be a, a real tough thing and it's you know it's already going to be complicated enough 
to actually transition all of the things related to the business, right? You know, to manage that. Sure. Um, but there's a lot of planning things, you know, that can be done in advance, you know, with different kind of buy-sell agreements and insurance and, you know, ways to make it so that way everybody's more comfortable. Is that well, the, I'm sorry, Jerry, is that the same with a spouse as well? It can be, yeah. It depends how involved the spouse is and if the spouse has been subject to, you know, the spouse may have already been on the franchise agreement technically, depending right. on <laughs> what franchise system it is. Yeah. Um, they don't really consider the spouse involved. So in that situation, it may not be a transfer, quote unquote, because uh -huh. they were already on there. Um, but if they were not on there, you know, if it was just signed in the name of the company and then maybe the spouse signed as a guarantor, right? That's not the mm -hmm. same as who the franchisee was. And sure. so it may be the case that, it, you know, if the spouse is not on there directly, um, that the spouse will have to qualify as a transferee. And, and those, you know, there's, there's good reasons for that. Um, you yeah. know, somebody's spouse was never involved in the business. You know, there's really no reason to give them preferential treatment. Interesting. Jerry, you, I, I know you had a comment, and then we'll, we'll switch gears a little bit. Yeah, I just uh, want to say that was one of the benefits of us bringing our daughters in as minority owners early on, because we could get them approved while I'm on the right side of the sod. And <laughs> then, um, you know, they stay involved because they're involved in the day-to-day -day stuff. So corporate's already well aware of the transition. Hopefully it happens while I'm alive, but if I'm not, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be slowed down because that was the plan and the corporate was aware of it. I sure. have heard, and I'm sure Laura's got lots of stories, but I've heard certainly the other side of that where somebody does pass unexpectedly and maybe doesn't even have a second signer on their checking account, yeah. which means they can't yeah. make payroll, which happens every week or two. And there have been some very, very depressing stories about that. So anybody that's getting into a franchise or any business needs sure. to have some process set up where you've got somebody to back you up on several different areas. And if you're going to pass it down, have some of that pre-approved. I have to say, this is, this is probably one of the most important pieces of advice, um, certainly that we've talked about. And Laura, I thank you for that because... You know, there's probably a lot of people out there who don't realize, you know, you may have a will and all these other things, but when you're in a franchise relationship and right. we say to you when you're buying, listen, go see a franchise lawyer, <laughs> this is a golden nugget of information that you need to make sure your attorney says, hey, let's see what happens. God forbid you pass. Right. And, and estate planning is an important tool, right? It's, it's part of this. Um, you know, like having in your will, whatever, you know, whatever you want to happen, saying that is a really important tool, but it's not necessarily going to mean that the franchisor has to follow. Yeah. And so you have to take action during your life to make that more of a reality, um, you know, just the way that Jerry's describing, right? Because if you don't, then it's, you know, the franchisor is, um, you know, they're surprised, they're confused. You know, it's, it's a very stressful time if someone, you know, dies unexpectedly and there's no clear person to whom that transition, no yep. number two. Um, and, you know, that's the case in any business, right? You know, whether it's a franchise or not. But here, because of the franchisee-franchisor relationship, you know, there's someone else kind of watching out for it. And, yep. you know, they need to know, um, you know, as early as possible that someone else is going to be involved. Well, I really thank all of you because, I, you know, we try to do these panel discussions kind of with a loose outline so we can really kind of play off each other and topics that come up. And I hope that um, certainly, you know, all of this, I think, was very valuable. But this last part about your your planning for the future, you know, Jerry stumbled into it before with, with one of his folks that he helped with developing. And I, it's you know, you hear these stories all the time. So I hope that you all out there, if you don't have something in place today, you go back, get your attorney and figure out what you can do to help protect yourself. And so a, I was gonna say, and this is a plus of a franchise, right? This is the plus of the yeah. franchising to have this in place in the succession planning. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It really is that they want you to have a plan. There's a lot of things that franchising will require of a business owner sooner than what an independent owner might do. It will yeah. require it sooner. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good yeah. thing, the current thing. 
Absolutely. Thank you all for helping. I appreciate you doing the panel of the pros with us today. And we're going to switch over to Jerry and talk about fighting for franchising and the franchisees in the IFA. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new movements to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine with a y.com. And welcome back. We have Jerry Akers here with us today. We're talking about fighting for franchising and IFAs in, sorry, the franchisees in the IFA. So Jerry, tell us what is going on with franchisees joining the IFA and what kinds of things that you think they're going to find to be so helpful being a part of that group now. Yeah, well, you know, education, of course, because uh, in the franchise world, ongoing education is critical to success, and you can find it from a lot of different areas. Certainly, your brand should be providing some of that and the peers that you have within your brand. But I find that um, the texture of what I get when I go out into the greater world and talk to other franchisees and other brands changes the way I look at everything. It changes my perception. So IFA will introduce you to all those things. So the educational thing, both on the ground, just regular straight up classes, but also the interaction with other franchisees. Uh, I find one of the biggest things is the interaction uh, and engagement that they help facilitate in Washington, D.C. with our elected representatives, because, you know, there's a lot of decisions being made in uh, D.C. related to franchising and, and our businesses by people who know nothing about franchising or our businesses. Sure. So. Uh, I can tell you from many, many years of doing this, those elected representatives, they talk to lobbyists all day long, and they take things lobbyists say with a grain of salt. But when a uh, somebody from their district shows up who owns a business that they've driven by or they've done business with, and you come in and say, hey, that bill you're talking about right now, here is exactly what it would do to my business, and yeah. that haircut you get would be more money or you know, that, that sandwich you buy, we would have to change something with it, or my employees would take a hit because of X. Yeah. And so the engagement is critical. And I, I highly recommend everybody that's a franchisee, it's free. Join IFA, you'll get, uh, you'll get yeah, texts and emails on a regular basis with what's going on. They'll help set you up with that engagement piece with your reps. Uh, I find it kind of life-changing, to be very honest with you. Well, it's interesting because we've kind of talked on this before, and, and I know that you're beginning to build kind of this curriculum for the franchisees. And obviously, today's panel of the pros really gave me some insight to something that if it's not on your list of to-dos, maybe it should be talking about planning for next second generations in businesses, right? And how do you get your business ready and planning for those unforeseen circumstances, making sure that if they haven't, I mean, none of my friends that own franchises and I have ever discussed making sure that our franchise agreement with the franchisor talks about what happens to my business if I pass in the middle of my term. Well, I think there's a lot of people in in that situation. Laura could certainly speak up on that later maybe, but um, I would say the vast majority of franchise agreements have codicils in there that, you know, the, the new owner has to be approved. And yeah. there's no guarantee your spouse or your children would be approved. They may not have the experience or the skill sets, or or maybe, heaven forbid, they've created an issue somewhere along the line that the franchisor is aware of. Or, you know, at some level, maybe the franchisor is going to be happy to be rid of your family. So you, yeah. you got to take all those things into consideration. And so it's it's critical. And I can tell you far too many stories where, A, 
Somebody thought they were going to live forever, and when they didn't, uh, there were critical problems with the business. And B, where people thought they were going to be able to just pass it along to their spouse or kids, and suddenly, while they're dealing with a funeral and all those things, they discover their business is in limbo and may be sold if they don't uh, get some approvals done. Wow, really scary. Can you tell me what other kinds of things that you're working on with um, franchisees being involved in the IFA? What are some of the plans that, that your committee has in getting them active and, again, yeah. getting them fighting? They're, they're fighting for their, for their being. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. So we, uh, under the last chairman of the Franchisee Forum, we started a process where we're doing quarterly educational webinars put on by the experts, the Lists of the world, you know, and so on. But uh, we had one just a couple days ago uh, because of a, uh, you know, something being talked about in D.C. that uh, could dramatically impact franchising and franchisees and so on. And so we already had it set up and scheduled. So they just opened it up to all franchisees, even if they weren't a part of IFA yet. So we're trying to educate them from a franchisee standpoint as to what this, what's going on and the impact it would have. And it was amazing. We had, uh, I think we had almost a hundred people on that call and uh, half of them had not been involved in the past. And so then, Jerry sends an email to all of them thanking them and asking them to become engaged. And here's the reasons, which we just enumerated. Uh, and contact me directly if you want to talk about it. So that way we can continue to broaden the base of franchisees involved in this. Because, you know, I, I mentioned it a few minutes ago. I kind of teased it. In Arkansas last year, there was a bill that was being considered, and it was on the fast track. It would have been voted on this week. <laughs> it was voted on this week, now, to be honest with you. but uh and it was brought about by a large franchise system where the franchisees expected their children to be automatically approved and when they found out that wasn't going to happen they and they couldn't change the franchise door that was locked in stone so they went to the state and asked them to change the law and unfortunately some of the you know the the impetus behind this was legitimate and I could see why they, you know, might've thought that was a good path. I would have negotiated with the franchisor and spent more time on that side, but, sure. uh, but I get it going to, you know, going to your representative and so on. But unfortunately when you turn representatives loose on something like that, they go crazy. Yeah. And it went far beyond what they had originally set out to do. And some of the things that they were going to put in there, were going to make it, um, extremely difficult for franchisors to be in business in Arkansas. So we got uh, the franchisee group together. Uh, I, IFA did a great job of bringing people together. And franchisees in Arkansas spoke directly in the, the uh, house to the representatives. Uh, there were, I don't know, 70 or 80 franchise systems around the country that sent letters uh, to, to the house to talk about that. And we were able to negotiate then and get it to fill the bill of what the franchisors were concerned about, but yet not all the other ancillary stuff that was thrown into it. Sure. Well, and that's, I mean, so here we go, right? It goes back to, to the advice that Laura gave, making sure that you initially at least get that one-on-one -on -one conversation going. If you think you're going to want to, you know, give it to your kids, get them involved. And then it sounds like the advice you're giving is before you jump necessarily to the state level with something like this, try to really work directly with the franchisor to see if there's some common ground you can come to before it potentially affects everyone. Well, sure. You know, getting Laura or somebody that does what Laura does involved in a conversation with you or your franchisee association, if that's what it is, and the franchisor. Uh, many times you can negotiate some of those things out. It's right. far less painful, generally will cost you less money, take less time. And maybe the biggest thing is you don't ruin relationships, which um, yeah. can haunt a family forever when you're in a franchise system. So, yeah, I, I highly suggest that people be cognizant of that and talk to their franchisor early on. And, you know, I'm also involved in NFIB, the National Federation of Independent Business. Thank you. Yes. Literally for the same reasons, except they're stronger on the state level, IFA okay. stronger on the federal level. Okay. So I got back from D.C. from uh, testifying 
in front of uh, a House committee. Three or four days later, I was in the state capitol here testifying in front of a House committee at the state level about uh, staffing and employment and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And they want to hear from business owners because they know, well, frankly, they can see from the tax income right now that we're all struggling. Yeah. And so they want to know what they can do to fix it. So I talk about the same things everywhere I go, help yeah. with daycare, because yeah. so many moms can't work or can only work part-time. They'd love to work yeah. full-time, but can't. Okay. Yeah. Keep your regulations under control. So uh, I, or other franchisee or business owner, can do more for their employees to keep them employed. There's yeah. just a, a list of those kinds of things that I think are very common sense that get yeah. overlooked. So that was my thing last week. I hope nothing is coming up this next week where I'm going to be in front of anybody. So here's a final question for you, Jerry. NFIB, obviously um, more independent businesses involved in there. But can franchisees become a part of the NFIB as well? Absolutely. I am. There are many in the state of Iowa, I'm sure, around the country that are. And I, I, I use IFA and NFIB only uh, almost together but as sure. uniformly. In fact, when I was in D.C., IFA reached out to NFIB knowing that I'm a member and let them put some questions in and let them uh, have access to everything that we were doing to use sure. for their social media and all the things that they're doing because yeah. it works both ways. So absolutely, I highly suggest it. Again, it gives you a bigger presence on the state level. It gives you a different level of education because yeah. they look at it in a little more global standpoint rather than just franchising but all of that global stuff impacts your business too so Absolutely. i would suggest both of those organizations are on your to-do list well jerry i want to thank you for being such a, a great contributor to the show and also for being such an advocate really for franchises all over and i hope that you know a lot of listeners out there who are franchisees today if they're not part of ifa and nfib that they really take a look at it and consider getting involved because listen, nobody's going to have your back or fight for you more than you will for yourself. So if it's not important to you, well, hey, then it, it is what it is. But if all the hard work, blood, sweat, and tears that you put into it, money you've invested means anything, you've got to get involved. Otherwise, you just become a victim, right? 100%. Thank you, Kristen. You're welcome, Jerry. Thank you. And on to our next session. What are the top three reasons that you should tune in with the franchising? One, franchise advice from a million dollar mentoring team. And two, how about interviews from franchise professionals and influencers? And number three, how about getting some professional tips on buying, growing, and exiting your franchise? Join us on Pillars of Franchising to learn about the secrets of franchising success. You can find us at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time, wherever you listen. We'll get that re-recorded one. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, well, it was a lot of fun anyway. So listen, I want to know, you serve as kind of a consultant for a lot of these franchise systems, right? Well, I, yes, I mean, I've, I've played different roles. I was, as yeah. I mentioned before, on, you know, franchise, on the franchisor side, and then mm -hmm. now work with, work with different franchisees, people that are buying franchises or people that have existing franchises. So what are some of the top questions that people have? You know, what I thought I would do is share maybe three questions that, share three that are kind of not common questions or not commonly talked about. Sure. If you okay, think about right. the first one, we've talked a lot about this one. Uh, many times what happens is that, you know, someone's going to sell their franchise. And, and for many of you that are listening today, you're like, I want to buy a franchise. So then the question is, do I keep that franchisee that's selling the franchise? Do I keep them on for a while? Do I not? You know, what kind of, oh. how should I do, how should I do this? Because there's, right. they're, they're trying to do the right thing and they're worried. So like, you know, do you think it's going to be good if I actually keep this, this person on for a long time because they can help me with the transition? That's a really good point. And the same would go, I would think, like, um, for the office staff, right? Like, do I want to keep their office staff or do I need to work on bringing my own in? And what is exactly. the right time? So how do you answer that question? Well, first of all, it's always, it depends. 
because it does depend, right? It depends upon, first of all, do you even, we'll start with, do you even like the person you're buying it from? Right? I mean, well, think about how, the, how the negotiations go, right? Exactly. You can tell. And if, and if you don't like them, and if you feel like you're not connected to them, it's a hard, get them out as fast as you can. Yeah. Because I see when people have not liked someone, I've been in the middle of that where there, there are people, you know, there's, there's the existing franchisee that just bought and the older one and they're fighting. And yeah. that's, that is so not good. That's very undermining. So that's the first thing. Do you like them? Second would be making sure that if you say, if you say yes and that you'd like to have them on board, first of all, making sure that you agree on what they're going to do. What's the accountability? If you don't put that in place, the parameters in place, they right. then think they don't own the franchise. Then they start yeah. doing things they shouldn't be doing. Then you get right. battles. Right. You get battles there. Um, also, right. what happens is if you don't put a time frame on it, then it can go on and on and on. So my it depends is really think through, do you like them? Yeah. You, you know, you know, if, if you do, think about the time frame. Think about sure. what they're going to be accountable for and making sure that they don't, they don't undermine you. And, you know, I think that also, you know, I certainly would look at it as uh, were they a successful franchisee or are they selling because Good they're point. struggling, right? Because yeah. if they're selling because they're struggling, I'm probably going to vote to move them along. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> right. And you've, got to, and you've got to know that even in taking a look at when you're looking at the business, you'll see that. You'll yeah. see somebody thinks if you have any yellow or red flags, you know, the advice is, yeah, probably not to do it because it's going to cause you more, more harm than good. And you'll figure it out. And you have a good franchisor usually who has a team of people that can help you with that transition. Right. Excellent. Okay, great. What's your number two? Okay. So the number two that I would get is, you know, a lot of times the franchisors will say, you know, here, take a list. Say, here's a list of, of people, other franchisees that you can, you know, that you can talk with. Yeah. And so, so it's usually one is, is what, do I really need to do that? Or if they do it, mm -hmm. they're like, well, what kinds of questions do I ask? Right. Right. And so many times what happens is they'll have these calls with the designated list of franchisees. And it's yeah. almost like a happy, happy conversation, right? They kind of say the same things about marketing or sales and it's happy. So, so the advice I, you know, the advice I give is yes, 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 yes. You need to be talking to other franchisees. And mm -hmm. talk to the list of people and also talk to people that aren't on the list. Yeah. So try absolutely. to find some, right? Don't you think to try to find some that you can, whether it's the web, people that are near you, people that might be the same size as you. Yeah. You know, buy them a cup of coffee or have a virtual call with them and, 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 and ask them hard questions. You know, that's a great point because I called some people who were not on the list. <laughs> the first thing I said is, I know why they're not on the list. <laughs> okay, that's funny. But then there's some that aren't on the list because they give some really candid answers, too. Right? Yeah, and inappropriate ones, too, to boot. Yeah, so exactly. Like, exactly. <laughs> are you really telling me that? Stop. You can't be saying this. You have no idea who I am. Yeah, yeah. But but I even think for the ones that are on the designated list, if it's all these nice, nice questions, yeah. you're going to get, because they're on the list for a reason, right? They're compliant. Exactly. They're going to give you nice answers. So I also suggest asking some hard questions, you know, things like if you had to do it over again, what would you change? Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, and I could, I could think of more, but really think through ones that are hard questions where you're going to really get at the culture, the relationship yeah. with the franchise or, you know, you know, how are decisions made? How yeah. are the franchisees really getting at some of that by asking harder questions? Mm -hmm. Than the than the just the regular the regular traditional one. Yeah, that's really good. And I think when what that process is what we refer to that right is validating. Yeah. And I think what's really good to validate is let's say whatever category it is that you're looking to invest in. Also talk. You know, there's some things that maybe you don't really like the answers on. Talk to some of the competitors and see how they answer those questions because you might be led to a different brand because what are red flags with one brand, the other brand has figured out. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So. It's interesting that you say that because don't you, you know, you want to see the good, bad, and ugly. You want to see that. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think having your eyes wide open with it and saying, okay, I'm so, I'm so in love with this brand. 
right? That many times you'll ignore some red flags. Yes. So yes. it's because, you know, you're, it is an emotional buy a little bit. So you're mm-hmm. saying, take a step back and maybe look at other brands. Take a look yeah. at some different things you know, in, in, in this, in this uh, validation process as well. Yep, absolutely. And what's number three? Okay, well, number three is one we keep talking about today. So it's interesting. There's a theme here. How many times do, do people say, um, do I really need to have an attorney? Do I really need to have that or not? You know, or I'm just going to get my attorney that I use for uh, my house. I bought my house, and, and, and I'm just going to use them. I'm not kidding you. You have no idea how many times that happens. And the answer yeah. is, yes, yeah. use an attorney. And, Laura, this is a big plug for you. And use someone who understands franchising, who can go through that, you know, the whole um, the contract and explain it to you. Because how yeah. many times do you know people that are like, well, I didn't know that was in the contract? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and I'll tell you, you know, if, if you if you just call an attorney and say, oh, I've got this franchise agreement, I need somebody to review, can you review it for me? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. You might want to, instead of ask the way I did, can you talk <laughs> about the experience you have with franchise agreements and franchises in general, right? Yeah. I think this guy said to me, well, it can't be that hard. And, and of course, I've seen him before, and I was like, Okay, whatever. So we went forward with it, and the guy, you know, spends time with it, and then says to me, "Well, I don't think there's really much you can change here." Right. Because you want your your attorney asking you hard hard questions, having yeah. you understand what you're buying. You might go want to go back and ask this question. What about that? So they're really giving you advice, not just looking at it and yeah. saying yay or nay. Yeah. And, and, and really involving them. It, that, to me, that's the beginning step of actually having a relationship with the franchise attorney because you're going to need them on many occasions. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for that, Karen. So it's great to have a top three. Do you want to just give, rattle off the top three issues again? All right. So number one, number one would be making sure that, you know, do you keep your existing franchisee or not in yep. the transition and that it depends. A lot of different yep. factors, but think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is, um, is it worth talking to other franchisees before I am buying? And right. the third one is, do I really need this attorney? Do I need this lawyer to, to actually help me with this? Awesome. Very good. Thank you so much. We appreciate all your insight each and every week. And we'll look forward to seeing you again next Thursday. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks. Laura. Hello again. I didn't know this episode was going to be such a lawyer plug. I feel honored. I know, right? You've done such a great job, and everything we've talked about, oddly enough, just keeps coming back around to needing. It's, all, it's almost like lawyers are, are relevant. I don't know. Well, listen, and the funny thing is, everyone goes, oh, just a lawyer, right? But in this case, you can't go it alone. It's just too critical. So let's talk about some of the legal advantages uh, that you see, because you also have regular businesses, right, independent businesses. What do you think are some of the biggest advantages with a franchise business? Well, one is that it is actually a regulated industry, right? When you buy an independent business, you are doing a lot of your own due diligence. And that's not to say that you don't do, you know, some, a lot, it will feel like a lot even when you're buying a franchise. But yep. when you are on your own, you're buying an independent business, there's probably no other business just like there to check against and say, well, okay, what is this? What am I doing? What, how is it going to be? And the fact that it's a regulated industry means that there is a regulated form of sale document, the franchise disclosure document, FDD, as you've heard people say. Uh, so that's a big one, right? You know, it's also regulated in the sense that um, you know, a lot of different states across the country, they have a lot of rules around yeah. how to sell franchises and, you know, waiting periods and, and things that are really designed to be a consumer protection um, yeah. that you are buying or starting an independent business. There is nothing like that. So one of them is just the fact that it's a regulated industry. Second, I would say, um, is that usually there are going to be others out there who are doing what you're doing. Um, it could be, I suppose, there are some very new franchise startup systems, right, where, you know, mm-hmm. it has to go first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but most of the time, most franchises are more, a little bit more established than that. And that means that there are other folks out there to call who are doing just what you're doing. Maybe they're doing it, you know, in Topeka, 
or in San Jose or something, but they are doing what you want to be doing. And that is incredibly valuable, Um, you know, to do those calls the way that you and Karen were just talking about. Um, And, you know, I do encourage all of my franchisee clients to call as many franchisees as you can. Um, Yes, start with the list that you get from the franchisor. That's very nice. Um, But I really think that they need to call a lot of the other ones, Um, you know, and you have to call a lot. I think I've probably said this on here before, but it's like, you know, one third of them will, you know, probably not call you back. Right. Fine. People are busy. Uh, One third of them will not tell you anything new, right? You know, the sky is blue and, you know, green. And then the up one third is where you're going to actually find people who will give you really good information, who will sit with people, you know, I mean, I encourage my people, you know, if there's anyone, even if it's like, I mean, I was on the phone, like, I think it was a week or two ago with someone who's buying a franchise in the Chicago area, and the closest franchisee was like down in Indianapolis, which is, you know, if you're not from this area, you know, probably like a five-hour drive, yeah, and um, I was like, honestly, you need to call them, you need to make a lunch appointment, take them to lunch, and, you know, make it worth their while to talk to you. Um, exactly. You're going to learn a lot more, especially if you go in person than just on the phone when they're distracted, you know, they're checking email, they're, you know, like how all of us do. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can also go and see their business. Uh, it's, uh, you know, just valuable, right, to see it in person and make sure that, you know, the, what you think you're buying is what they're actually operating, right? Um, yeah. Because get into it and if, if you know, it's not, that's going to be a real disappointment. Well, I think that's really important, too, if you're looking at a resale, right? And there's a lot of people looking for resales right now because when you make that investment, you already have cash flow, right? And so we have looked at a an existing business, and it just told volumes. So even if I really liked the brand, the only option I had in this area was a resale. Yeah. And walking in. But but if they're not, you know why suddenly someone's trying to get out. Yeah. Well, you know, his numbers and his story sounded real good. And you walked in the office and you just went. And my first thought was, there's nowhere to go but up, right? That's, that's a fair point. There are a lot of people who come into those as a, you know, they're going to buy it on the cheap, right? Yeah. You know, and they know that they can turn it around, that they, you know, can be a better operator. Um, yeah. And, you know, that can be a very successful strategy. But you you got to be really confident, um, you know, doing that on on a first one. Like if you didn't already have the experience that you have or that Jerry has or Karen or someone, yeah. I don't know if I would suggest that for someone who is new new to franchising, you know, to buy one that's underperforming and try and say you're going to flip it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. As you said, we've had a very um, legal heavy show today. Um, but I think it's been great, and there's been so much really great information. I appreciate you jumping in and contributing. And as always, we really enjoy having you on the show, being our, our legal uh, expert with us. So thank you so much. Thank you. And we'd like to thank you all for joining us on the show today. And thank you to our Million Dollar Mentors for their continued commitment and thoughts. And a heart warm welcome to Sarah Spain with Molly Made of Aurora. And last but not least, a shout out of thanks to our producer, Fred McMurray. I am Kristen Shalmassi, your fourth franchising mentor, and together we are your resource for franchising success. This has been another episode of Tillers of Franchising, and please join us again next week at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. And remember, the dream starts here. Have a great week. Yeah, 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 yeah.